terrorize the world. Hello everyone, my name is Brian. And I'm Nick, and you're listening to the podcast from the Black Lagoon. Nick, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about Friday the 13th, Part 3. In 3D. Ooh. Oh man, the tagline is a new dimension in terror, um, which I absolutely love. If you're wondering what that looks like, think of a child in the street with a bat that just kind of hovers in the camera a bit too long. A Shakespearean doomsayer holding an eyeball to the camera. A yo-yo, you know, a bouncing joint. up and down. Oh, yeah, that's right. But one, one actually kind of cool gimmick. I like the harpoon flying off the dock into the eye. That was a really good use of 3D. <laughs> that is actually one of my uh, favorite kills in this film. It was very cool. It was very cool. Loved it so much. So before we start this episode off, ladies and gentlemen... This whole premise of covering Friday the 13th as a franchise as a whole is to get Brian a newbie to this series and me, somebody who adores these movies so much, is for me to explain why these films are so good, why they're so beloved by many. And, and you can find my stubborn argument against why I'm I'm why Nick needs to explain this to me. And, and I, I think the first episode we did on Friday the Thirteenth, um, Part Two, we were both kind of lukewarm about. But this is when I think things are going to turn around because in this film, there's a lot of there are a lot of fun elements um, and a lot of things that I appreciated. Um, it, it it doesn't have the atmosphere of the first one, but there there are a lot of tiny things in this movie um, that. I found compelling and interesting and, you know, if you're going to use this formula, I think this is a good way to use it and, and we'll, we'll break that down yeah. um, later on. So, yeah, this this film is definitely wacky and goofy and that's what I love about this film. Um, it's definitely one of my top three favorites out of this franchise because part three is just so amazing. Especially with the uh, groovy disco theme for the beginning of the movie. Boy, man, that intro sequence was banking off of 3D and 80s synthesizers. Like it was, it was so easy to place this in time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's crazy. This movie came out the same year as The Thing. Like it's insane how different they are tonally speaking. Like it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that intro was great. That really set the tone. For for what was to come. So this movie was made for a budget of two point three million dollars, and it grossed over thirty six point six million at the U.S. box office. So I think that okay. was a little under from part two. Uh, hmm, okay. And it got it got it got critically panned reviews because you know people talk shit. But but surprisingly, Gene uh, Siskel. One of the guys, Ebert and Siskel reviews, I've, I've been kind of chronicling their reviews of it in the 80s in, in, in this uh, series we're doing. He kind of liked it. 
he despised the other ones, but in this one he was really transfixed, and a lot of people were with this new 3D technology. This is one of the first major releases that used it, which is very interesting. And um, apparently it aired in a lot of theaters that weren't equipped to actually do 3D. So I'm sure there were a lot of people wondering why um, we were hovering on shots of bats in the back of pitchforks and why people were sending yo-yos into the camera very deliberately. But um, it's a, you have to think, we see it as gimmicky and kind of cheesy and fun, but this is a big deal. Uh, watching this in person in the 80s and have this stuff flying on the screen at you, that must have been very cool, you know? Yeah. And what what better franchise? That that really, to me, it's the same thing as kind of having, and I, I have been explaining this way a lot lately, these kind of museum exhibits of kills. That's what these slasher films are often like. It's like, look at this new thing. We're going to do it this way, and then this way, and then this way, and that's going to guide the narrative. And that's okay. That can be fun. But it added a whole other element of that, where now it's in between um, fun ways to kill people. It's fun ways to play with 3D technology. So there's always some gimmicky thing going on that's interesting, and that, that makes this a simple, fun movie You know, that's pretty compelling uh, from start to finish. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. 100%. So, one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite films in the franchise is this is where Jason Voorhees dons his hockey mask for the very first time. And it's actually uh, molded from a 1950s Detroit Red Wings hockey mask for any of you hockey lovers out there. Or, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. That's um, some interesting tidbits about the mask and everything. And yeah, we definitely get a different feel, a different kind of atmosphere in this film compared to the first two. It's very bright. A lot of it took place during the daytime. That's new. You know, it used to be rainy and dark and frightening and and old, you know, old dark homes. And this is very bright and sunny. And uh, a lot of it took place in a barn. (laughs) A strange amount of the movie ran in the, had its runtime inside of a barn. Um, it, it was playful, goofy. Yeah. There was a uh, strange biker gang that seemed pulled out of a comic book. That was interesting. It did have a very goofy atmosphere. It really did. Yeah. Um, uh, Fox, Ali, and Loco. Okay, those are the names. Those are the three <laughs> biker gangs. Uh, yeah. It's it's very wacky. It's very goofy. It's fun. I I love I love this film uh, again and again and again. I'll keep saying that over and over. I'm sorry if I talk your ear off, everybody. Uh, but one of the things I don't like about this film, and it's the reason it's caused by part two, is when they kill off Crazy Ralph. They bring in this crazy old man who's holding. A dead person's eye and says some, you know, crazy ass pun about like, I warned thee and holds it up to the, holds it up to the camera. I, I don't really, I don't really like that. I think that they should have never killed Crazy Ralph off in the first place. And you get stuck with this generic. <sighs> It's, it's, it's just whatever. It's just whatever. Yeah, he's filling a mold, and that's all it is, right? He's sleeping in the street. He's just he's obviously just filling a mold for this kind of wacky character. Um, and it feels... It, 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 yeah, I, I agree. It's not as compelling. 
Um, they, they killed off who would be a really big cult icon for the franchise in the second film, and not even in an incredibly satisfying way. Like They just kind of did it for a new body, add to the body he count. He did become a cult icon regardless. He, like, yeah. he, a lot of fans. Let's see. Yeah, joint in 3D. That's what I, woo, that's what I wrote down. Joint in 3D. You know, playing off the gimmick of the, <laughs> the 3D effects and everything, right. I thought it was just, it's laughable. Especially when you don't watch it in 3D. Uh, like the the the, uh, the fake snake with the wire. Oh my god, yeah. Just jumping <laughs> out and... It's ridiculous. It's fun. It's, yeah. It's definitely enjoyable. It's a lot better than part two, yeah. I will say. It's so much better. It's definitely a step it up. Is. It really is. Got a lot of, it has a lot of good kills. Very, very creative. Um, I, I thought this felt more like a passion project than the second one did. The second one felt like a, like I was talking about before, like just kind of draining the first film formula for as much as they can get out of it without the passion behind it. This one felt like it had more of a vision guiding it. Um, on the other hand, I think the characters were a lot weaker than what we saw in the first film, even kind of it, what we saw in the second film. Um, however, they were more fun to watch. They weren't as boring, but they just weren't interesting. Uh, and, the, and I didn't find the acting as compelling as in the other movies too, which I didn't expect at all. Um, they weren't as memorable to me, but yeah. I, you know, that, that that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, also, I, I didn't like the introduction of, I, I hesitate to call them jump scares because that's not really what they are. Just those tiny little, like, you know, in the Halloween, the hand on the shoulder moment. Right? Yeah. Where it ends up being, oh, it's just a random guy, a normal guy. Yeah. And in this one, they did that every five minutes someone would open up a door and she could see in the whole van but out of nowhere a hand comes out and grabs her as if she couldn't have seen it just because our camera can't see it right and that always happened someone goes inside and their boyfriend's cool idea of a prank is to grab her and throw her into a wall <laughs> like, it's just very odd to me like they're going to they're trying to rile us up and to me it felt like way too much like it really diluted uh, what could have yeah. been a lot of a slow burn building tension. And not to say this movie doesn't do slow burn. They do because it takes like an hour before stuff really starts happening. And when it does, it really picks up. But the whole rest of the film is just littered in with really like dumb semi-jump scares that just are like, oh, okay, that's what's happening now. And... Yeah, it sort of is like Halloween in a way because you get jason Voorhees stalking people now and mm -hmm. you know the relentless jump scares and the uh the music building tension right. even though you know nothing's gonna happen i sat there and i'm thinking to myself <laughs> you know oh here we go again but nevertheless like even though i rag on it a little bit it's still a good film i enjoy this 100 percent uh I completely agree with you on the the acting in this film. That some of it was a little laughable, yeah. like uh, the stoner the stoner chick, <laughs> where she's like running around, like screaming, but she doesn't look terrified. She's <laughs> I, ah, <laughs> yeah, I knew we were going to talk about that. She was very like nonchalantly screaming for her life <laughs> and just venturing through the house, and she just seemed like she was not entirely there. 
Probably really high. That could be it, huh? <laughs> Probably. Uh, so the um, actually, I wanted to talk about something. It was a very little cool fact that I found out. Um, the original concept for part three was that the final girl from the second movie, Jenny, she was supposed to come back for this film, and it follows her. Uh, she she's learned self defense after her encounter with Jason Voorhees. And then she finds Paul's dead body in her dormitory. So it's kind of confirmed that Paul is dead. Okay. Huh. Just, just just from that. Uh, so she goes back to Camp Crystal Lake and then has this big showdown between her and Jason Voorhees. Uh, but the actress who plays Jenny decided she's not going to come back. I would have loved to have that as a side narrative. That would have been a really cool addition to this movie. Yeah, it would have. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it would have been. It, w- it really would have been interesting, but you know, th- that's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. It, you know, you look back on these old '80s yeah. films and hear the stories about what happened through the cast and crew, and what could have happened could have turned out to be even better than what we originally got. One of the things I jotted down here in my notes, I, I really like that Jason got beat up in this one. You know, there was a really a two-way battle. He was stabbed in the knee. Like, the, the final girl in this one kind of felt like she stumbled into that role, like she just happened to survive to the end. There wasn't enough agency behind her, like, character arc where she's really growing and fighting. And But, but I, I liked the idea that Jason was really beat up, axed to the head, hung, stabbed in the knee. It, it felt it, it upped the intensity a bit more. And it made it feel a little bit less inevitable yeah. that, oh, he's going to live and they're going to die and we're going to get another movie. And it had more of a, a tug of war element. And I, I liked that. Actually, this was supposed to be the final film in the Friday the 13th franchise. It's a strange note to end on. Okay. <laughs> it, it was supposed to be a trilogy. Okay. And then they made that much money, you know, 36 <laughs> point right. whatever. Uh, and they decided, okay, we're going to make part four now. And mm. part four was supposed to be the final chapter, and that's what it's called, the final, the final chapter. chapter. Uh, and then that just never ended up <laughs> happening, so we got 12 films. Oh, goodness. All right. Uh, so what were your... Like, I listed three of my favorite kills. I already gave you one of them, which was the harpoon uh, gun kill, which was amazing. That's definitely one of mine, too. Um, ultimately... I think the coolest one in the film was the handstand. Firstly, I want to I want to preface that what the hell was he even doing? That was weird for him to walk around on his hand. This is another one of those like in the screenplay. It was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. He'll do a handstand and then get split in half." But it felt weird that we had so much screen time on him walking in and out of rooms on his hands with nobody watching him alone. <laughs> <laughs> like I think they should have he should have just left the bathroom and immediately got it. It felt weird that he was just wandering around upside down like that. But that was one of the hardest hitting moments. Like when you see his body flail under the just cleaver, it's just like, it's gritty. They really nailed it. And then when she's reading her magazine and the blood's dripping down and she looks up and sees him, it looked like he was cut horizontally there. And I originally thought he was cut vertically, but I don't know if I saw that the wrong way or something, but that was a really clever thing to do. I, I think that looked cool. They pulled it off well. 
that had a lot of this um it, it reminded me of the first movie where they like to they'll show you the kill but ultimately the horror comes from i've been in this room so long and i didn't even know my dead boyfriend was there you know and then they find out it's like oh i've been in the house so long i didn't even know the person was shot into the door with arrows and then they see it and they're like oh it was there the whole time there's that 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 um in hind that hindsight horror of it like i had no yeah. idea and now it's all there they kind of did that and i like that i thought that was very cool um you know i want to like i just want to ask how the fuck did jason know that she was just going to sit back down in the hammock yeah and and where did all the blood go did she was it not on the floor did he clean it and up? how and how come she didn't see jason underneath the hammock you could see you know there's <laughs> Yeah, that's a there's good a point. lot of there's a lot of yeah. space underneath that hammock. I'm pretty yeah. sure if you walked up to the hammock, you could see somebody like that. But you know, she's reading Fangoria magazine, which is a very popular horror cult magazine that okay. was started in 1979. It was very popular between the early 80s and late 90s. Hmm. Okay, and did, what did they cover? Like a lot of like cult horror topics and things like that. They, they cover yeah they they covered horror movies and stuff if you saw what she was reading she was reading about uh it was like 30 years of godzilla oh that's right cool or 20 years something like that yeah uh but yeah it's just very very interesting you know little little easter eggs here and there uh for horror horror fans all above right uh, so the final girl in this movie, Chris, she goes into her backstory and while she's talking about why she came back or like what happened to her, I know a lot of some, some people would never even think that this would be a thing, but they imply that Jason Voorhees sexually assaulted her. I, I've come across this interpretation and... I kind of get where they're coming from. I kind of get where they're coming from. The way it was filmed and just the whole tone of it kind of seemed to imply that. Nothing so direct that I can say with certainty that, oh, that's what happened. But I, I don't know. I don't know. The, the trauma of it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was intended or a byproduct of just the way that scene panned out. Um, and that just mainly because that doesn't fit the character's mo. <laughs> like, it really does. Seems out of left field. But then again, uh, they kind of changed up Jason in this one, right? I mean, he he seemed to play with people a bit more. He seemed to like th- this one. There is a marked difference in how he treats his victims in this one, and um, it's kind of it's kind of funny because this film takes place right after the events of the second film. Where <laughs> the hell did his hair Where'd go? Where the hair go? <laughs> yeah, he he gained some weight. He got he really changed. Like his entire body changed drastically. Um, I'm okay with that. Like we we were talking before about um, other kind of contingency issues that that didn't make sense as the movies kind of elapsed. But you know, all right, and. I'll, I'll we'll, we'll, we'll go along with it. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is the face reveal scene. Uh, my when when I saw that happen after he was hung and he pulled up the mask, um, I thought that didn't make sense with the character that was laid out in the first two films because it seemed intentional. Like, hey, look, it's me, by the way. And then he put it down. And then she said, it's you. And it seemed like a weird thing for him to do because the character, the Jason I know, being a brand new viewer of this franchise and watching the first two and now this one, 
it made him look kind of like a vengeful but ultimately naive guy. He's dumb and oafy and lumbering. And that's part of the fear is his his complete and utter lack of social intelligence or any kind of... He can't function. He's just mad and he's having a temper tantrum, but he's so strong that it's deadly. That's kind of the picture I got of him. He's a big lumbering guy who's getting vengeance because someone hurt his mom. And, and in this one, it made him look evil and like he's trying to hurt her psychologically. And then I rewound it and... I wonder if rewound is it rewinded? I have no idea. And then I I kind of took the film back and watched it again, and it looked like the film was also trying to say he needed to take up his mask to get the noose off, or he accidentally pulled it up. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell because he pulled up the rope with the mask, but then the way he held it up and looked at her was like, Oh, look at me. I'm showing you who I am and then he put it back down. So it's like a halfway in between, like you can look at it either way. I like the idea that it accidentally came up. Um, but then he locks eyes and like makes a face at her. That's very much like, you recognize me? And then he puts it back. And that, to me, made him weirdly evil. And that's not the picture I've got. He, he's more of a, he's more of a, in my book, naive child who's so big that he really causes havoc. But ultimately, he's just lumbering around and he's angry and vengeful. But he doesn't understand how the world works. Like that's, that's the scary killer that I see him as. Um, yeah. But what did you get out of that? What are your thoughts on all that? I agree with you. He, to me, he's also a big lumbering man child. You know, he can't function in society. He's basically, he is an animal. This is his territory. You come anywhere near my territory, you're fucking dead. Uh, and I think, I think he was just trying to get the rope off of his neck. And the mask just, you know, he had to take the mask off first and everything to get the rope off his neck. Which, that hanging scene is so amazing. Especially with the, uh, was it when, as soon as he, okay, as soon as he falls out of the, uh, as soon as Chris pushes Jason out of the barn and he drops and you hear him sort of moan in pain. Not moan, but gasp in pain. I thought that detail is just so amazing. I, I like that because that adds to this idea that he gets beat up in this movie, you know? It's like he's this tank and he's just picking up injuries left and right. I like that idea. It reminded me of, oh, we talked about this in the Halloween 2018 episode too, where I really liked the idea that Michael Myers is collecting scars. And if we can go along any new movies that way, that'd be cool. You know, he's just getting beat up and it just, it makes it scarier because he's just like this unstoppable force who feels pain uh and and is hurt and can be stabbed and harmed and burned but keeps going you know like i I, it added such an intensity to this movie that didn't have to be there it could have been like the second one which to me was void of suspense uh for most of it um where he's just like stabbing people and it's just not really i didn't feel impending doom but in this one it really had that back and forth um a bit more of a survival a fight for survival and i I like that that was very cool um, yeah. At, at one point, let's see if you have any new points to bring up. At one point, I want to talk about the ending. Do you have any big points you need to bring up before that or anything like that? I just wanted to tell you about my experience while watching this movie. Yeah, I actually it. jumped. I actually jumped uh, last night from watching this film what when uh, when Chris is running away from Jason and the body 
Loco's body falls out of the tree. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know why, but I wasn't fucking expecting it. Even though I've seen this film so many times, I immediately jumped out of my bed. <laughs> that, that it scared the crap out of me. So kudos. Yeah, cool. You know, it's aged yeah, cool. so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I really do want to talk about the uh, this ending, though. I thought, you know, this is so refreshing uh to the friday the 13th franchise in uh, as a whole you know you don't really get these kinds of endings because the this ending is so uh grounded in reality it's very refreshing i feel like in a lot of horror movies we don't really get that kind of aftermath with main characters or anything like that we always get like a happy ending uh we sort of got that in part two with the final girl. You know, she was sort of trying to, like, distance herself from people, like her family. Like, I'm fine. I'll call you tomorrow. Yada, yada, yada. But we, but this, this final girl, it did major damage to her, to her psyche. Yeah, it did. And and that cast doubt on the um, sequence where... Um... Jason Voorhees' mother pops out of the ocean, uh, out of the lake and grabs her. Because they, they paint that as a dream sequence, don't they? Like, she woke up from it. Because later we see Jason's body still mm-hmm. in the barn. I actually, one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie was seeing his bloodied head pop into the window of the upstairs of that house. That was creepy. And I wish they banked on that a bit more. Because that was, that was really creepy to me that he kind of got up into the window and watched her. Like, um, it's not over yet. But here's, here's what I really want to talk about. Um, I looked up the plot summary on Wikipedia to kind of get a feel for what people think happened back then. And the summary I read on Wikipedia and on a few other wiki pages dedicated to this stuff said that it was revealed to be a dream sequence. She's carted off. And then the final end of the movie, we see that the lake is calm. But I didn't see that at all. Um, I, I felt like it was a bit more ominous and open-ended because what happens in the final lake sequence is you get a single ripple of water. It's You see a calm lake and then a single ripple occurs in the middle of the screen and it permeates outwards and then the film cuts to black as if they're implying, was it a dream sequence? And if that's the case, it's kind of funny to me uh, because why would he, why would Jason put the axe back in his head, put the mask back on and then lay down in the barn? You know, so it seems like they maybe wanted the best of both worlds or or an acorn fell from a tree and nobody caught it. And then I just saw the ripple and read into it. But it was interesting that there's that consensus that the, the calm lake scene meant that none of that occurred. It's clear that none of that occurred because they do treat it like a dream sequence. Right. But there's that ripple that seems very put there on purpose. Like it's paced and put there carefully. So I don't know what they're trying to do there. Did you see that or am I? I re- I kept rewinding it and watching I, it. I think you're, I think you're reading into it way too ripple. much. I think it was just. I saw it. It's it. just a ripple. It was right there in the middle of the lake. <laughs> oh, that that just means you know, I, I don't fucking know. Col- Columbia cocaine is good. <laughs> That's what it means. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jason to me as a character. He has a, he has a, he has a list of rules, you know. 
You come on, you, you stay out of my camp. Don't have premarital sex. Don't do drugs. Don't drink alcohol. He's pro-abortion because he kills a pregnant chick in this movie. He's pro-abortion. Uh, and yeah, 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 he doesn't hurt animals, so he's pro-animal. You know, anti-animal abuser. Yeah, that's that's about it. That's that's all I can think of. Uh, yeah, loves his mother. He's a mama's boy. Loves his mother. He that is that is very true. <laughs> he is that um, mama's boy. It's a good description of him. Looking back at this film, this is now... We've watched three. This is now my second favorite one. Um, the first one was my favorite so far. And I had my gripes with it, but as we watch the sequels, I'm liking the first one more and more. Um, I saw the second one and thought, eh, this isn't really for me. The third one now is my second favorite. Granted, second place out of three movies isn't a big thing, but I like this a lot. I thought it was very fun and it was dead it had a lot of weak points but they were made up for because there's a goofy atmosphere that it was kind of staying loyal to and that's fine that again that's okay this can be a fun franchise right you've taught me that and i i agree with that um i'm interested to see what the others uh, what the other films have to offer because i want to see if anything will beat this one for second place because i hear there are a lot of duds in this franchise and i'm, I'm curious to see what they are <laughs> Yeah, we're we're gearing closer to them. Okay, I'll tell you that. Right. But definitely, I can't wait to show you more of these films. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your your opinions about them, what you took from them as a as a whole. Uh, and I hope I'm making you a fan into this world of Jason Voorhees, Camp Crystal Lake, Camp Blood. It's it's moniker. Uh, camp blood um but yeah i really i really enjoyed this film and you know even though i feel like part two our episode on part two was kind of lackluster because we didn't really have anything to talk about so sorry everyone about that but uh i i really had fun talking about this movie definitely 100%. yeah there's a lot more content here a lot of stuff that we could from, really break down and i like that you know you know from the gimmicky 3d effects and <laughs> just just using it just going for it you know if we're gonna do Man, 3d we're going shamelessly. all the way yo-yos <laughs> harpoon guns fucking baseball bats <laughs> marijuana cigarettes oh i sound old marijuana cigarettes uh <laughs> eyeballs eyeball puns uh well actually i have one more question for you what did you think about shelly as a character uh hmm. i was thinking hard about that at the beginning i thought i didn't really understand why he was in this um but i tried to picture the movie without him just a somewhat vanilla cast with a strange biker gang and the movie looked very different to me so I don't necessarily like him as a character that much. I felt like he was kind of a weak point and wasn't very well written. I liked his acting, and, and frankly, he really fit well in with the atmosphere of the movie. But um, if he wasn't there, this movie would not have been as interesting to me. That doesn't mean I liked him that much, but the movie would have felt a bit more dead. 
without his character bringing that kind of goofy aimlessness to it. Um, I still think this is fiction. You can do whatever you want. You can write however you want. I think stronger writing could have made this more compelling um, without that character. But given what this was and how it was just kind of a fun, goofy film, his presence helped, but he still had his kind of annoying Mm -hmm. character traits. And um, I don't know. Near near the end, near the point where he dies, I kind of, he grew on me and I liked him and I, I cared about his arc. A little bit more when it almost looked like yeah. with her name Vera. It almost looked like she was accepting him in some way right at the end there. And I was like, All right, you know what? I kind of like this. This is kind of a sweet little thing to add into the film. Um, but And then yeah, Jason was like, no, stop yeah. that shit. Not in my town. <laughs> get out of there. Get, get out of here with that <laughs> shit. God damn it. No. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I felt like his character was a little bit annoying, you know, playing dead and stuff and pulling pranks and everything. And that's, I could, I agree with you. I think that without this character, the movie would feel completely different. I I don't know. I don't know how it would be a hundred percent, but it's definitely a nice addition to the, to the movie. Actually, I think that's the only movie he did. Uh, after that, he went into law school. He became a lawyer. Still lawyering today. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. I like him a lot more. That's very cool. That's very cool. Imagine that story. That's pretty neat. All right, everyone. Well, that was the end of uh, our episode on Friday the 13th, Part 3. Um, yeah, this is. I like this one. This this is a higher point uh, in, the, in the trilogy we've watched so far. I look forward to getting into more of the movies. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun doing these videos. Uh, you, you can, if you like what you hear, there are plenty of ways to find us. Pretty much any podcast provider. We're on YouTube. You can subscribe to us there. Uh, we're on Patreon. You can support us there if you'd like. It's all good. You know, just. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate your support. Thank you guys so much. We love you all. Uh, and, you know, my question to the listeners is. Out of the complete franchise of Friday the 13th, what is your favorite Friday the 13th movie? Leave it down in the comments below, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the podcast from the Black Lagoon. Bye.